This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to PuckCast with Statsman and AJ, RotoWire's hockey podcast show. I'm AJ Scholes. You can follow me at AJ Scholes24. This week, uh, we are without Paul Bruno, the Statsman. He's off enjoying some uh, baseball action down in sunny Florida as the rest of us are trapped up north in the cold here. Uh, I'm joined by RotoWire NHL contributor and Bruins expert Joe Mahoney, who is a star forward at South Kingstown High School. Joe, I'll give you the floor to introduce yourself uh, here. Anything our loyal podcast listeners should know about you? Well, I think um, calling me a star forward might be a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> um, I always tried my best, but I, I don't think star really fits. Uh, as a loyal Badger, I'm a little cro- uh, crushed from the uh, the loss on Saturday. But, you know, trying to get back another week now. <laughs> yeah, I feel you there. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride here in Wisconsin with the Badgers. At least that seems to be the MO. We had the Final Four run in basketball. So, yeah, we'll get right into it. I'm going to still call Joe a star forward, uh, even if he wants to, you know, maybe identify more with those third-line grinders a little bit. Uh, but on today's podcast, we're going to talk about the ninth week of the NHL season. As always, we'll try and identify some of uh, the best storylines, new roster opportunities. And before we kick off the show, I'll just remind you, as always, that throughout the week, if you have questions about your lineup, be it fantasy hockey, just hockey in general, uh, you can tweet at us. We'll try and answer those questions for you. Uh, you can follow me at AJ Scholes 24 and you can follow my usual co-host, Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. I know he'll have some downtime, so it might be a great opportunity to shoot him some questions this uh, this week. We'll start off, as we always do, with the Anaheim Ducks. And a lot of interesting uh, movement here as far as injuries go. It seems like it's been one step forward, one step back for this team all season long. Uh, Rickard Raquel seemed to be getting close. Jakob Silverberg is... Uh, on the bench now, and obviously they have Adam Henrique in the fold after that trade last week. Joe Blandisi getting an opportunity, which I think uh, is going to be something long term uh, that this club will appreciate. His uh, minutes, you know, a little down as you expect, right out the gate trying to learn the system there. But I think the 23 year old will be pretty good for them. 
Joe, I'm wondering, you know, John Gibson's uh, save percentage is at a .92, his goals against average 2.98. What's kind of got him, you know, that's a little off for him uh, based on what we're usually seeing. Any insight from you on uh, what's going on there? So I found it really interesting. Just it seems like a discrepancy almost between the goals against average and the save percentage. The save percentage looks really good. Then the goals against is super high. And I think it kind of goes to the Ducks allow the most shots in the entire league. And I think he's just getting peppered, and this beaten and broken Ducks team can only prevent so many chances right now. So it's those high-quality chances are going to, if you get a lot of them, it's going to drive your goals against up. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we did talk earlier in the season, a lot of injuries on the blue line there. uh, So definitely contributing. And, you know, a decent fantasy point there. uh, Gibson seeing a lot of shots. So in your daily contest, that's probably not a bad thing. Uh, And goals against average, somewhat decent considering the number of shots he's seeing. Heading over to Arizona, it's good news on the injury front as they get Jakob Chircherin back, although Nicholas Jarmusen is still out. Uh, This team seems to still be stuck in an underperforming level. You know, the goaltending hasn't been great, although, you know, Antti Ranta's dealt with injuries. They brought in Scott Wedgwood to maybe compete with him. That hasn't really panned out quite as well as we're seeing. Uh, So as far as getting Chisharin back, what do you see as his, uh, you know, kind of see as his ceiling, whether it's this season or long term? For this season, I mean, he's already missed almost two full months. Um, So I I don't know what kind of level of production really to – to predict, I guess maybe around the 35-ish point mark. But I think moving forward, he'll be a maybe two, three years from now, he'll be a solid like 50-point defenseman per year for maybe three or four seasons of his career. Yeah, that's a, that's a bold claim. I'm not sure I'm ready to go all in on that one, but definitely uh, has the potential. You look at some of his numbers, uh, you know, when he prior to turning pro, and they're, they're definitely decent, got the goal in the game back. So that'll definitely be a boost for them. We head over to Joe's hometown team of Boston. Uh, you know, they... Another team that is starting to get healthy has dealt with some injuries as well. And the most interesting point here, obviously, for this team of late is the Tukarask and um, Anton Kudobin storyline. You know, Kudobin had that four-game run, uh, had a little bit of a struggle in his most recent outing in Nashville, but uh, that's not really saying too much. There's a lot of netminders that struggle when they play at Bridgestone Arena. Uh, do you think Tuka, do you think he's over it? At this point, Joe, or do you think you think he's going to reoccur of, of that little bit of a slump there? Uh, Tuca tends to, especially in recent seasons, he tends to be like a really streaky goalie. So I'm kind of worried that at some point in the season, it won't be as bad as we already saw, but I I think it might come back. Might hit, a, hit another rough patch, but the good news is he's playing well now, and that's when you ride him until he tells you not to ride him anymore. Yeah, well... Just, Turns into stinkers. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it is to be expected from you know with the number of injuries, you could obviously blame it on that. Hopefully, yeah. they'll health be healthy here, and and that'll kind of end. But uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I think Tuka should be good to go the rest of the way, but obviously Anton Kudobin seems to be a capable backup uh, if yeah, they need him. Definitely, yeah. He is. I mean, this is second run with the Bruins. Um, first time around, it was. 
pretty good. And uh, last year he played better towards the end of the year, really helped him get into the playoffs. Um, so yeah, well, he'll definitely he's definitely an eye, a name to keep an eye on as a, as far as backup goalies go. Yeah, yeah, definitely a good call. Uh, one goaltending situation that does seem a little uh, interesting is going to be the Buffalo Sabres. A lot of moving and shaking going on there. There's reports that teams have been calling about both Robin Lerner and Chad Johnson. Uh, Joe, I'll have you chime in on that in just a second here. They make the move. They uh, wave Matt Molson. We'll find out today if he gets claimed or not. I, I'm guessing he'll make it through if only because of his cap hit. I'm yeah, not sure contracts. too many teams. One of those albatross contracts. You don't want even for one more year after this, you don't want that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they do make the trade to bring in Scott Wilson, who, uh, you know, had his cup of coffee in Detroit after being traded earlier in the season. He's on his third club. Uh, so a lot of different uh, different looks from the Sabres. Uh, but, yeah, as far as that goaltending situation, what do you see? You know, do they keep these guys for this year? Should they try and trade them? And, you know, do you have any thoughts on, on Olmark down in the minors, whether or not he can uh, step into a role if they decide to trade one of these guys away? I think he's definitely capable of stepping into a role, Olmark that being. But with the, I feel like a lot of those those big goalies, as Olmark is, they take a while to kind of get acclimated to whatever league or level they're playing at. And I wouldn't want to bring Olmark up for an extended run with the Sabers, with like as bad as they are, and just absolutely cripple his confidence. Like he'll just get shelled way too many times, cripple his confidence, and then he'll never be the same again. Where I feel like uh, Johnson and Leonard have both been it, been through it before, so I'd keep one of them around. I, I would move one of them, but I would keep one around to kind of even just get get shelled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, having having a veteran there uh, who could kind of maybe show Omar the ropes, uh, especially at the start here, definitely a good idea there. Uh, another uh, interesting idea, whether it's good or bad, still remains to be seen, was the signing of Yarmir Yager. Uh, he's over in Calgary now, our next team on the list here, and just really hasn't done much uh, as far as production. It looked like he maybe uh, early November had shaken off the rust a little bit there. He had three points in two games, kind of mid-November. Um, but since then, it's uh, been just two points and they got him for, uh, you know, it hasn't been a big a big price tag. Now, I obviously think there's some, uh, you know, uh, I hesitate to call it off-ice uh, contributions that he'll make, more uh, on the bench or on the ice in terms of teaching guys stuff, so stuff that won't necessarily sc- show up on the score sheet. But when you spend a million dollars on a guy with the pedigree of Yarmir Yager, I think you're hoping for a little more production. Do you kind of get the same vibe that that maybe he's – are we hazard to say he's finally kind of lost that step or, you know, is he, is he going to get back to where he can be? Uh, This is tough question. I tend to think that with the state of hockey today, the way it's played that like we may have seen the last time Yarmir Yager was like an effective player because before, like I remember when he played for the Bruins at least, even then, the game was a good deal slower than it is now, and Yager was able to just use his strength, his skill, his smart, where now it's becoming more evident that he just really doesn't have the skating legs and he can't keep up with the play. Yeah, I, I definitely, it does, uh, I do agree, it does seem like he slowed down. 
And I thought we saw that a little bit in Florida as well, a little bit of a oh, yeah. slowdown on him. But it seemed like there he could still use some of those those tricks, uh, tricks of the trade to kind of find his way uh, to the front of the net and into scoring position. So I, I think that's really what we haven't been seeing from him there. Uh, guys, speaking of guys that haven't been showing up at all, the Carolina Hurricanes, our next team on our list, Sebastian Ajo, one point in his last five, uh, Tivo Teravainen, two points in his in his last five. That top line is not producing at all of late. Uh, Jordan Stahl, same boat for him. He's got just one goal, and that's his lone point in last five games as well. So, uh, you know, we didn't, uh, at least Paul and I, didn't predict this team to do a whole lot. Uh, out the gate this year and and they are really struggling uh you know they're they're in that metropolitan division so it's hard to blame them too much for their struggles they're not out of it by any means uh, kind of only uh looks like seven points behind that third spot for uh for a playoff spot so certainly not out of it but you got to get more production out of that first line uh so that's kind of what i'm seeing from from carolina there Joe, anything that stands out to you, whether it's uh, that top line, defensive, or, or the goalie situation? Uh, I actually, <clears throat> to look at um, Justin Falk, because he's really not producing the way you would expect him to produce. Um, I mean, he's pointless in his, in his last four with to go along with a minus three rating. Um, and even on the season, I mean, you look at his past three seasons – and he didn't even play full seasons for two of them, but he still averaged 16 goals per season. And then this year he's got only one through 25 games. So I think that's – they're losing a lot of production from, from his spot in the lineup. Yeah. Compared to what they had last year and the year before and the year before. Yeah, it, it definitely – you know, Carolina is one of those teams that a lot of people have high hopes on that blue line. Now I took some flack on Twitter the other day by suggesting that – uh, they could use an upgrade at defense, uh, basically suggesting a Cam Ward for Ian Cole trade. Obviously, there might be a few other pieces that yeah. would join that. Um, but I, I, to your point, I think their defense doesn't have the the productivity there. Now, that's not to say Ian Cole is a goal-scoring machine that's yeah. going to help uh, in that sense. But I do still firmly believe that they could use an upgrade on the blue line. Uh, and you know, then we'll head over to Chicago for our next team. Obviously, the big story here, Corey Crawford placed on injured reserve. Uh, undisclosed injury, uh, I, I admittedly didn't watch the game that he, uh, he last played in on November 30th. Uh, faced 35 shots. Now, I know there was some concern uh, about a potential injury at one point during the game, but they didn't stop the game. He played the whole, finished it out. So it's really unclear uh, as far as what the injury is, uh, what you know it could look like. Uh, I would be hesitant to to trust Anton Forsberg long term. Uh, I think they'll probably switch a, a little between Forsberg and Barub. That's just my take on it. Uh, Joe, I'm not sure. Do you have a similar take? Do they ride Forsberg? You think, or do you think they'll swap between him and Barub? I, I think they'll kind of try and play it like hot and cold. If if they throw one guy in and he plays great, they'll throw him back in. If he plays terrible, then they'll go with the other guy. It's yeah, it's a huge loss for the for the. Blackhawks because he's Crawford by far has been their best player this season and without him if it's a long time they might not make the playoffs yeah that would be an interesting situation to not see 
the Chicago Blackhawks in the playoffs at all. Interestingly enough, Patrick Kane, no points in his last two games uh, without Corey Crawford. So that's when you really want uh, some of those all-stars yeah, stepping up. you want to start outscoring people when you're not going to be able to have your stud netminder and go, like, you want to just be able to blow someone out and not have to worry about the goalie problems. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one team that hasn't been worrying about goalie problems is the Columbus Blue Jackets. They've got Sergei Bobrovsky. Now, he's lost his last two outings, but before that was riding a pretty strong six-game uh, winning streak, uh, so no concerns from them there. I do uh, question this team's ability to score goals. Uh, I don't think uh, they've really done much on the goal-scoring front. Uh, in fact, they are 11th uh, lowest in goals for per game at 2.81. Now, they're bolstered by the fact that their goals against allowed is 2.41. So, obviously, they're relying heavily on Bobrovsky. Uh, I'm just wondering if there's, you know, is there anybody here that we can expect to maybe start figuring out how to score uh, some additional goals to get that number up? Uh, you know, is there anybody that you think you would rely on that maybe could kind of turn their offense around here a little bit? Um, so Panarin is, he scored 20 points in 27 games, which it's a little down from where he was at when he was in Chicago, but he's also not playing on a line with Patrick Kane. So I yeah, think that's going to hurt you anytime. So I, so I think that's about like where he is as a player. So I'm not even going to call on him. I'm going to call on Cam Atkinson, because Cam Atkinson scored 35 goals last year, 62 points, but this season he's only got six goals and nine points in 23 games. That's that's a whole lot of goals that's that are just evaporated from season over season. Yeah, and that's uh, no points in his last four either for Atkinson. Yeah. So that's a that's a great call there on a player that could step and up. I mean, it, another just looking at Atkinson here. Last season, he had 10 goals, 21 points on the power play. This year, he's got a big goose egg for power play points. And when you're an NHL team and you're having trouble scoring, power play is a perfect way to score your goals because you don't have to have a great offensive system or anything. If you can find a way to get done on the power play, then you're set. And if a guy who scored 10 goals on the power play last year isn't doing it now, it's not going to look well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely not. Now, I did jump ahead. I uh, got a little out of order here. Apologize to Joe for switching it up on him. I skipped the Colorado Avalanche, but we'll head back there now. Uh, this is a team that I think so far, uh, I would say, has outperformed uh, expectations. 26 points. Yes, they're the bottom of the Central Division, uh, but that's you know definitely one of the tougher divisions out there. I mean, the Blackhawks are at 29 points. The Wild are at 29 points. So again, another team that's by no means out of it. They're definitely in contention uh, for you know maybe a, maybe a wild card spot, but maybe that top three. Uh, and I think it a lot of that has come down to Simeon Varlamov. Uh, he's you know really performed uh, admirably. Uh, some young guys stepping up uh, in some areas. Now, Alex Kerfoot started out really strong, had uh, a bit of a slump, but he seems to be back three points in his last three games. Uh, and they've got him up on the second line, so giving him some some top, uh, top six minutes. He's playing alongside Tyson Yost, uh, another young player. Now, Yost dealt with an injury, spent a little bit of time on an essential conditioning assignment. They didn't straight up call it that. Uh, no points in his last three, so obviously you want to see some production from him if they're going to have him in that top-line role. And I'm not sure that's long-term, to be totally honest with you. I would expect you know Carl Soderberg 
to get a look there. Uh, you know, Gabriel Landeskog is out. That's obviously going to hurt this team. Uh, so any, any thoughts on, on if this team can be, can they get to close to playoff contention or are they going to start to tail off and, and head south? I definitely think they can, they'll, they'll stay within shouting distance of a playoff spot. I think I look at them in the Western Conference is kind of similar to Carolina in the East where they, they have, they're definitely building with like a long-term plan and they're kind of just dealing with some underproduction and they'll stay close. Maybe they get hot at the end of the season and they can sneak in, but I don't think either of them are ready to make any kind of serious noise in the NHL. Yeah. Also on the the Avalanche front, you were mentioning Yost and Kerfoot on the second line. I really like Rocco Grimaldi skating on the second line. He's super, super talented, super fast. The only problem is he's five foot six, but almost every other recall he's ever had has been in a bottom six role where now... I think if you put him in a top six with some other talented guys, like he can he can make some plays. He, he might not explode for you know three points tonight, but I think he's a good guy to keep an eye on. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great call there. You know, and we talk all the time. Lines are fluid in today's NHL, uh, so you definitely want to keep. Uh, on top of that, which you can obviously do at our site, rotowire.com, Joe and I are part of our team here that uh, you know keep track of those depth charts, shuffling them around as needed to, to give you the latest and greatest information. Uh, speaking of latest and greatest, Ben Bishop, a little bit of a, a early November slump, uh, but didn't last long. He seems to be back uh, and settling in in Dallas. Six wins. One loss in his last seven games, a 1.93 goals against average over that stretch. Uh, so I think the biggest impact here, obviously Ben Bishop is going to be owned in almost every league, but I think there was a, a some talk of maybe trying to pick up Kerry Lettinen. Uh, you know, he had some some decent performances early in the season, looked like maybe he could compete for a little bit bigger role, but with Bishop kind of dominating lately, I don't, uh, I don't expect to see that uh, change much. They still are without Mark Mathot. Martin Hansel is out as well now. So, uh, but a, other than that, a relatively healthy team. Uh, I think uh, the, my biggest question, uh, Mark, is uh, you know Alexander Radulov. They got the big signing there, twenty five points in twenty seven games. Is this a pace that he can keep up? You know, his shooting percentage there is fourteen point eight. That's pretty decent as well. Uh, got some power play contributions as well. So, can he keep performing at this level? And you know, other than other than that, anybody else that you see that's really standing out for this team, Joe? I really think he can. Maybe not that close to a point per game pace, but I think he'll he'll easily eclipse sixty points if he keeps playing with. With Sagan and Ben, he's just—he's a really intelligent hockey player. Has really good offensive uh, IQ and and senses, and obviously he's got loads and loads of talent. But um, I think Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan are also very offensively intelligent players. So you put those three guys together, it's a great mix. So I think he'll keep he'll keep rolling strong. Yeah, one group that is not rolling strong of late is. The Detroit Red Wings. Now, we'll talk about the goaltending situation a little later in the game. That's a teaser for our loyal listeners out there who know about our stud and rant of the week. Uh, They're going to be the highlight of that. So we'll leave them for now. 
The rest of the team, my biggest concern here is this defense and the lack of blue line scoring here. You know, I've talked excessively about Trevor Daly, so you can feel free to take your crack at him as well if you'd like. Um, but it, really, there's none of these guys who are standing out to me uh, on this blue line. It's, you know, not that the Red Wings have ever. I shouldn't say ever because they've had some really great teams. But of late, I feel like their blue line hasn't been a strong scoring blue line. Um, but it, it seems to have gotten worse, in my opinion. I'm, I'm not sure. Are you seeing the same thing with them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, you said with the teams of late, and that's I definitely agree with that. Where those, those great Red Wings teams of the past were built on having a Nick Lidstrom and a producing uh, Nick Cronwall, where now Nick Cronwall is what thirty five years old, thirty five years old. Yeah, seven points on the year. Yeah, not and I mean Mike Green's on the team. He can he can he can put up some points, but that's not really a guy you want to lean on too much. He's he's more of a, a power play specialist, scoring specialist. He's not going to shut down the other team's top line. And if that's and if you have him filling that role. Your team's not in a good place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and obviously they're seeing that of late uh, with some struggles there. Uh, we'll head over to Edmonton now as our next team. Now a lot of uh, you know a lot of changes with this team lately, mostly minor stuff. But uh, you know they've brought in Mike Camilleri. We talked about that. They just brought in Brandon Davidson. Uh, they got Nathan Walker coming in. So it seems like they're really trying to find some answers to the question of why. This team has struggled so much lately. Now Cam Talbot's out for two weeks, so they're going to have to really rely on Laurent Brossois, uh, who hasn't uh, performed as well as he did last season in his limited opportunities. Our listeners out there will note Connor McDavid does have technically an injury designation tag. He missed practice yesterday uh, due to illness, but they're not in action until Wednesday. So um, barring some sort of significant setback. I saw Todd McClellan said it was a 24-hour thing, so... Yeah, yeah. So no, no heart attacks there. Uh, as far as these couple of moves, you know, even you know, um, as as our fill-in host this week, you obviously weren't here when Camilleri came in. So, uh, as far as these couple of moves, do you think they're finding the right pieces, or are they just grasping at straws with this? I think those are very, very, very much band-aid type moves. They're they're not revolutionizing anything. It's more, oh. Well, we don't really like this guy that we have plugged in this spot in the lineup. Let's get someone else and see if it makes it a little bit better. It's they're they're not huge transactions by any means. Although I did see um, with Puglia Yarvi playing well um, in this recent recall that um, Anton Slepyshev is kind of being uh, thrown around as a potential trade bait uh, because they still have uh, Yamamoto. Um, Back with his junior team, but he can always be recalled. He'll just burn a year of his contract. Yeah, I, I do think Slepyshev, you know, despite just the two points uh, this season, could be uh, a, a decent uh, piece that some teams Throw might take a, a look new, at. In a new setting, put him in a consistent second line role, first line role. He's got he's got the hands to do it. It's just you got to see if he produces. If you give him a chance to to produce. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one guy who has been producing uh, decently of late but suddenly dealing with an injury is Roberto Luongo. Mm-hmm. Suffered a right leg injury last night uh, as we move to the Panthers. Uh, 
you know, based on uh, the fact that he wasn't able to put any weight on his leg, uh, I'm expecting him to probably be out for a pretty significant chunk of time. Now, we haven't had any confirmation of that yet. Uh, that means James Reimer will take over uh, again. He's filled in for, for Luongo earlier in the season, uh, but it wasn't exactly a banner uh, stretch of outings. Uh, gave up a combined 19 uh, goals in five appearances in late October, early November, uh, filling in. So uh, definitely some concerns there. Uh, and I'll ask you to ch- chime in, you know, your thoughts on James Reamer, as well as any other concerns that might stand out to you about this team. Uh, they just, you know, they had so much uh, good things going for them two years ago. They were right there last year, hampered by injuries. But even once they got healthy, they just couldn't get back to where they were the season before. And again, 20, you know, 24 points, not far off in the Atlantic, but it does technically put them down in seventh place. So I guess any concerns with this team, why they might be struggling, as well as what you think about having Reimer as the number one. So for Reimer, um, I mean, if, if Luongo's out for an extended period and Reimer steps in, I'm not too worried about him. I, I think, I mean, he's been a full-time NHL starter before with the with the Leafs, even if it wasn't just the, the lockout-shortened season. But he, he's not going to, you know, set the world on fire, but he'll be, he'll be serviceable. And then as far as the actual team goes, I just really like that uh, top line combination of Huberto and Barkov, and I think you just got to keep your eye out for who they put on right wing with those guys, and that could always be someone that you could include into a, a daily lineup. Like right now, it's Nick Bugstad, who also a former first round pick, definitely has the ability to put the puck in the net, but playing with guys like Huberto and Barkov, both really smart players, great puck possession players, and work well together. It's almost like a um, a, a Marshawn Bergeron kind of sure. has a potential for something like that where these guys are both going to be locked up with the team for a long time and you kind of just f- figure out who's the hot hand to play with them yeah absolutely I mean I would expect uh, to your point there Joe I would expect Connor Brickley maybe gets a look up there Dennis Malgin has already uh, had his cup of coffee yeah. on the top line so and I mean Dodonov's hurt but he was he was playing great with those guys yeah, that's a great point. Uh, you know, missing him definitely caused some line shuffling there. Uh, we'll head to the West Coast with the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, if you've been stashing Kyle Clifford all season long, looks like he's going to be getting close. <laughs> I, I, I probably should assume that there's probably not too many people stashing <laughs> Kyle Clifford, but maybe his mom. His, wife. <laughs> his his family league uh whoever had the first pick took kyle clifford's been stashing him all year um you know i mean he can be a decent uh you know if you're in a deeper format can be a 15 point guy i think maybe not this season with the number of uh you know yeah. games he's missed but uh i do think he can in in deeper formats is where you're going to want to take a look at him Maybe you catch them on daily and, uh, you know, if they have a good matchup. But, uh, yeah, definitely probably not too many uh, dynasty leagues stashing him, waiting for him to get back. (laughs) One guy that is back is Marion Gabrick. Uh, He's performed admirably in his six games back. Now, this isn't the Marion Gabrick of old. Uh, that's going to be, you know, an 86-point season like he had in 09-10. (laughs) But, you know, four points in six games back from injury, hard to complain about that. 
Uh, those are just a couple of my observations on this team. Uh, what about you, Joe? Anything that uh, you know really stands out for you uh, with Los Angeles Kings? Um, I, I really, I mean, you'll see it in my lineup later, but I'm really impressed with uh, Andre Kopitar this year because, I mean, people were killing him last year because, oh, you gave him this huge contract and now you put up 12 goals and 52 points. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's what we're paying you to do, but this year, I mean, he's he's already up to 14 goals and 31 points through 28 games. Like he's he's all right. I, I heard the noise. Like I'm ready to produce this year, and I think that's <laughs> a huge reason for their success. Is Andre Kopitar is really leading them? Yeah. Speaking of leading a team, uh, look no further than with Minnesota. You've got Devin Dubnik, uh, you know, trying uh, his best to to really guide this team back to where they want to be. Uh, some early season struggles appear to have shaken off. He's got uh, three wins in the last four. His goals against average in those games is still up around 3.24. Uh, now, obviously, some of that is slightly skewed by the six-goal uh, performance against the Blues. Although, how much blame do you put on him for that with the fact that he faced 40 shots in that game? And, and that's really been uh, what I've seen out of this team and, and my concerns about them. You look at his last four games – 34 shots against, 40 shots against, 31, and 42. So this is a guy facing a lot of rubber. Uh, I think it uh, you know, behooves this team to figure out what they can do on the defense. Now, obviously, they're without Jared Spurgeon. He's going to miss uh, two weeks with a groin injury, and that's not going to help them any further as far as it goes uh, as puck stopping. They brought in Nate Prosser off the waiver wire, or brought back Nate Prosser, rather, yeah. off the waiver wire. So... Um, is there anybody you know? Can Prosser kind of help stop that rubber, or is it is it gonna have to be Dubnik and on occasion Stalock really standing on their heads? I I think the I think it kind of falls on like as like a whole team issue. That it's just not only do they start Devin Dubnik all the time, but like you're saying, he gets pummeled with shots every time, and that's who they're leaning on to to get them into the playoffs. And you you gotta you gotta bring better team efforts every night to commit to. All right, let's try and give our goalie a little bit of a rest. Like we might have to work, but let's give the goalie a rest. I I don't know. Prosser is kind of like we were talking about the Edmonton Oilers. Prosser, bringing in Prosser is like one of those moves. That's just a band aid move. It's this guy's maybe a little bit better than who we currently have, but no, it's no uh, obvious upgrade. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, speaking of one team that doesn't need any upgrades, uh, talking about the Montreal Canadiens, Carey Price has been uh, stellar since coming back from injury. Uh, undefeated at this point uh, in that return, five wins, a 1.20 goals against average, and that's fortunate for them because of their backup situation. Al Montoya still out. I won't. Uh, I won't harp on the backup <laughs> there any further, as our listeners know. Um, on the front end, a lot of injuries. Uh, some guys, they might get back soon. Some guys out for a while. Uh, out of these guys that uh, you know that are out, what's the biggest loss to you? Now, Jonathan Druin, day-to-day. But they also have Arturi Lekkinen, who's been on IR, Alice Hemsky on IR, uh, Nikita Sherbach on IR as well. So any of those guys, like, is there one or maybe two of them that if they got back – could really uh, help this team in the offensive side of it. Obviously, on the back end, they seem fine, yeah. um, but uh, certainly a little more offensive contribution would help them a long way. So, I mean, I'm an unabashed uh, 
Canadians hater. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that seems to be the I, theme of my co-host. Now Paul's a Toronto fan, and so oh, yeah, Montreal is one of his least favorite teams. Montreal <laughs> as a city, as a place, I absolutely love it. So I can't hate that too much. But it's just the, like I understand why everyone hates them is because they're the 24-time Stanley Cup champions. Yeah. And, <laughs> they've they've know, won a handful of cups in their day. <laughs> you can just I just I mean I'm 22 years old, but when I think of like those Canadians, I still see Guy Lafleur skating around with his hair flying in the background, and I, and I get mad. <laughs> I didn't even see those games. But uh, <laughs> I was actually excited to see Alex Hemsky on on the Canadians just because I think he's a really fun player to watch. He's got really great hands, can create stuff, but he just dealt with injuries so much over the course of his career. I mean, he started off scoring two 70-point seasons in his first three seasons in the NHL, but um, it, it looks like with the concussion problems he's had in the past and now he's having this year, we might not even see him again for the Canadians, which I think is kind of unfortunate. Yeah, another team uh, dealing with some injuries. It uh, seems like they win one, they lose one in Nashville. They're not piling them up quite as badly. They're going to get Yannick Weber back, and that'll be kind of a minor uh, defensive contribution. Obviously, the big guys are that that top four of, of Yossi, Ekholm, yeah. Subban, and Emelin. Um, but they, you know, getting anybody back always helps. On the flip side, Ryan Johansson missed last night's game uh, with a day-to-day injury. Sounds like it probably won't be too much longer. Uh, they are back in action tonight, though, so it seems like it might be a little tight uh, for a back-to-back there. So uh, might not have him back quite yet. Uh, and so other than those guys, uh, you know, we've seen uh, a pretty stable lineup here. Uh, what, do you, what do you think? Uh, we'll get your, your thoughts on, on the Kyle Terrace trade. It, you know, they, they gave up uh, some, some pieces here. They get Kyle Terrace. Is this a good addition, a bad addition? What are your thoughts here? I really like it. I, I like Kyle Turris as a player a lot. Um, he brings a lot more than than what you just see on a score sheet. Um, he's just really hardworking guy. Wins puck battles. Like he he does the things that you want a number two center to do. And I think that would once the Predators start really getting healthy and um, putting stringing together a few wins, uh, I think they'll be back looking like a Stanley Cup contender and. I think Kyle Turris goes a long way to, to getting him towards their goal. Yeah, that's – I mean, obviously the goal is, you know, to get uh, get back, and hopefully for them their goal is going to be to to win uh, the Stanley Cup this time around rather than coming up uh, short as they did. Kind of the surprise team last year. That's not the case this season. Yeah. Uh, they are producing at, at a high level uh, all season long so far. Uh, for our next club – we're going to talk about the New Jersey Devils is another team. They are a bit of a surprise. Um, I don't think a lot of people anticipated they'd be quite where they're at. Um, you know, we've uh, obviously, um, I'll have you chime in, just, you know, get a fresh take on, on the Sammy Votnin move, you know, what he offers for, for this club and this team and what they gave up, obviously, in Adam uh, Henrique going the other way. Marcus Johansson back in the lineup. That's obviously what gave them the confidence to pull off this move. Yep. Uh, not having him would have obviously been a problem. No points so far in two games, but with how long he has been out, you'd expect it to take just a little bit of a time, you know, time to get back. He missed yeah. 13 games, so uh, I think he'll he'll contribute well. Um, so I, I think they'll be fine. Um, but yeah, as far as that that Vatnin deal, what uh, what were your thoughts on that? 
I really like it. Um, I mean, he Fonden's shown in the past that he can be a really good power play quarterback. Uh, the last three seasons, he's had uh, 17 points on the power play, 19 points, and 14 points. And uh, I think he'll he'd be a really good addition, especially playing with uh, – they could get him and Will Butcher together on a power play or even to split them up. It makes their – who's ever on the second power play so much better because it really helps to have that guy at the top of the zone that sees the ice well, can really distribute the puck, and that's what Valentin is. Yeah, yeah. The the extra contribution, I think, there to, to your point of what he can do on the power play will make it even, even a better yeah, deal it, long term. Absolutely. And, and then – for fantasy owners as well, if if your power play jumps, I don't know, 18% to 20%, that's additional production for almost every single guy who's on that power play in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one guy also taking advantage of, or, or rather uh, struggling to take advantage of his uh, power play opportunities is John Tavares. Now, it's hard to knock his overall production, four goals, seven assists in his last eight games, uh, but only two of those points have come on the power play and over that stretch, averaging an astonishing four minutes and 11 seconds on the power play over that eight game stretch uh, and, and 329 on the power play, you know, for the for the season average. So he's definitely getting some opportunities, but uh, is, you know, I wonder, is it more indicative of the team as a whole for their power play percentage or is Tavares just not, uh, you know, not finding a way to do it? You look. Uh, collectively, the the numbers on the Islanders aren't terrible. I mean, a, a 21.1% power play, uh, you know, that puts them near the top. Uh, in fact, that puts them 11th. Uh, and so clearly they're finding ways to, to take advantage of their power play opportunities, but it's just not coming for Tavares, which I find is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure if you have any insight on that. And then, you know, maybe, Joe, you could talk a little bit about the goaltending situation. Uh, it's been kind of a ride the hot hand yeah. uh, to steal a little of your parlance there. It looks like Halak right now. Is that long-term? Can either of these guys really step out and, and take over? Are we going to see it kind of bounce back all season? I, I really think it's going to bounce around kind of the whole season. I, I, was, I was shocked when, uh, when the Islanders gave – Thomas Grice had like such a healthy contract last year. Uh, what was it? Three year, ten million dollars in in January. I, I was just kind of kind of blown away by it because he had two good seasons like, as a backup, but I still didn't quite see it in him. Like, I was like, eh. can he actually be I, a starter? I yeah, right? I don't. I don't. I don't think he's. I think he'll always be like a pretty solid backup, but I don't think he, he's a guy you want to ride all the way to the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean, $3 million a year, roughly, uh, for a backup goalie is a pretty mm-hmm. hefty price tag. Uh, so and to commit to it for three years, too. Or it seems like a lot of teams nowadays, they it's like a revolving door of, um, of backup goalies where you get a guy for one year, he plays pretty well, and then he'll go off and sign a contract for more money elsewhere. But you take in another cheaper guy for another year and hope if he gives you a good season, great, we'll try and find another guy. Well, and that it's to a team that uh, seems, you know, did that is the New York Rangers. Uh, they didn't want to pay yeah. up for Anti Ranta. Yeah, exactly. They've got Andre Pavelsek. Now, I don't, uh, I don't think anybody there is really uh, thrilled about his performance. <laughs> One win and, and four losses, a three point five six goals against average in that stretch, but. You're not paying him $3 million a year to sit no. on a bench. They're only into him for one year, $1.3 million. 
So can't complain too much about that. Fortunately, they've got Henrik Lundqvist uh, in you know in the nets for them. Uh, he had some decent outings. I'm not really sure what happened in Florida there with the three goals on six shots, but technically the loss gets saddled on uh, on Pavelsek in that one. So technically speaking, Lundqvist undefeated in his last six games. Yeah. <laughs> uh, somebody somebody else taking the loss for him, taking taking the bullet for him on that one. Uh, obviously on the injury front, Mika Zabinajad still out dealing with that concussion. Do Does this team have the depth to overcome uh, that you know, that injury, uh, I question it. I, I'm just not sure uh, what you think about the, the middle of this lineup, how it looks without Mika Zabinijad. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I think um, this this whole team, they've really, until the Zabinijad injury, really were able to stay clear on injuries where there's a lot of guys in this lineup you look at them and the way they're drafted, the way they're signed. You you expected them to be s- certain players, second line players, first line players. Where really they're more third line, fourth line players. And when those are the guys you have to keep slotting up in the lineup, if people get injured, it's not going to be good. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. This has been uh, a really healthy Rangers team. Uh, you know, obviously one of the biggest things that we are always talking about here at Rotowire is the injuries trying to get uh, you, our loyal listeners and customers, the latest, greatest news on what's happening on the injury front. And yeah, that has been a team that has been really healthy of late. Um, We'll head over to Ottawa uh, for our next club. They've got some serious struggles going on there. Uh, Craig Anderson uh, in his last seven games, 0-5, had a couple no decisions in there. Gave up five goals on 18 shots uh, to the Islanders and then uh, did manage to blank uh, Winnipeg on the third um, but didn't uh, didn't get any sort of uh, win of record in that one despite saving 27 of 27 shots. So um, certainly some concerns uh, overall about what's going on with this club. Now, one uh, obvious uh, talking point for Senators fans out there is going to be Eric Carlson's recent comments about being willing to test the open open market. Uh, he's been very open about him and Drew Doughty of the uh, of the Kings both kind of talking to each other on how best to approach that. Now, we're certainly not suggesting that they're going to sign with the same team yeah, and more do so that they they're trying to get bigger, even bigger contracts than Subban got. They're like colluding a little yeah, bit, exactly. for lack yeah. of a better term. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what, uh, what do you think, uh, can, can a guy like Eric Carlson, we'll just talk about him. Can he get perhaps the richest, uh, deal so far given out to a defenseman and should Ottawa be the ones willing to pay up for that? Should Ottawa? Yes. Will Ottawa? I don't think so. I, they've shown time and time again that they're not really willing to, dig deep into their pockets, even for even for a guy like Eric Carlson, who is arguably the best defenseman of this current generation of players. And uh, I don't know. I, I just I really liked his comments though because he he touched on the fact how when when players kinda get this get the shaft in uh in negotiations with the hometown team, it's like, oh it's a business decision. But for the player, he never makes the business decision. He's expected to take the the hometown discount, 
and stay with the team where Carlson was looking at when I sit down to the negotiating table, it's, it's business for me too. And that's, I was like, wow, I've never heard an NHL player say anything like that before. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a really great point. You know, just looking at this team's cap situation, to be fair, Eric Carlson's already making seven or $6.5 million. Uh, but on the flip side of that, he's not the highest paid player. Uh, even on their blue line, they're shelling out $7 million a year uh, for Dion Phaneuf. Absolutely. And he's locked in for a long time. I think that's going to be make it hard to, to pay Carlson. Now, what will maybe help is that uh, potentially they'll free up some space. Matt Duchesne's contract ex- uh, ends at the same time. He's signed for $6 million. Derek Broussard's up at the same time. He's signed for $5 million. I don't think either of those guys is going to get the same. Maybe Matt Duchesne, but I'm not sure Derek Broussard's going to get another $5 million yeah. annual deal. So maybe they can save up some space. But are they going to end up paying Carlson like $8 million, you think? I think in the open market, he would easily get that. So I I think eight is probably about as high as they would go. All right. So you heard it here first. Eric Carlson, when he signs in for the 2019-20 season and beyond, $8 million. Uh, I agree with that assessment. Uh, He'll be making nothing less than $8 million per year. Yeah. Nothing less. <laughs> there's there's your bold take. We'll listen to this back in two years and find out yeah. where we landed on that. <laughs> um, but I definitely agree with that take, Joe. I think he's worth uh, worth every penny of that. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, for you know, for whoever's going to have to pay it. Uh, moving on. Speaking of uh, contracts and maybe some bad contracts, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers, they're a team that just continues to to struggle. Uh, you won't hear me weeping about that uh, <laughs> at any point. And it it does seem uh, like they have you know some pieces that they can they can find. Um, but then they make some some really questionable deals, and one of them for me is the signing of Brian Elliott. Uh, he has got a win finally last night, <laughs> ending a long, long stretch of nine games without a win and five overtime losses. Now, I'm not going to blame a lot of the overtime losses on the netminder. He at least got you there, yeah. although to be fair, on three of those occasions, he gave up five goals. Yeah. But again... To blame, put some of the blame elsewhere. In one of those outings, he faced fifty-two shots. I mean, five goals on fifty-two shots. That's actually still, still over nine hundred save percentage. Yeah, exactly. So you know, can you really blame him for that either? Um, is is there for this team as a whole? Is there any one person that you think you know the blame falls on? Is it the coaching staff? Is it the players themselves? Is it the front office? Perhaps. Um, I I think it has a lot to do with the. Uh, off ice personnel, like uh, I, I place a lot of the blame on Dave Haxtell, the head coach for sure, and and then also um, Ron Hextall putting together a team. Um, just like you said with with the Elliott signing, just kind of mind boggling. But I, I really think the coaching is is Philly's downfall. I I don't think Dave Haxtell should have ever been hired. He's he's a college coach and he he still seems to think he's a college coach. Like the whole uh, like healthy scratching um, Shane Gossespierre last year, like that guy's a wild horse. Like let him out and, and run. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't try and you know chain him up and throw him up in the press box. Let him play. Yeah. And it, but he was like, no, I'm in my ways. I'm a, I'm a defensive coach. 
I just didn't. Well, and one of the most confusing things during that uh, that benching is, uh, I believe, if I'm recalling correctly, Gosses Bear received some sort of award, some sort of like uh, city award or, or something. I'm not, I'm not recalling yeah, all the specifics super because he was he wasn't dressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got an award. Uh, but wasn't playing in the game, yeah. so yeah, I uh, remember that. Yeah, we'll head we'll head next uh, to the other side of Pennsylvania, where the Pittsburgh Penguins are firing on all cylinders despite not having Matt Murray between the pipes. Now, again, as I said earlier, uh, I called on them to potentially look uh, to bring in like a Cam Ward. Uh, he would be my ideal. You know, there is some history there between uh, Rutherford and, and Ward from their when Rutherford was with Carolina. I think he'd be kind of a great, uh, you know, great backup, a veteran backup, which is obviously what they tried to do and felt they needed uh, when they signed Niemi in the offseason. The whole plan uh, was to have Tristan Jari spend the year in the minors. Obviously, that's not working out, but what is working is Jari has four wins in four outings. I'm going to hedge a little here, and Joe, I'll get your take on, on it as well, what you think of Tristan Jari and what we've seen so far, but really only one of those wins is super impressive to me, and that's going to be the one uh, in Tampa. 35 shots on goal, uh, came away with the win. Now you look at the other outings, one of them is against Buffalo. Uh, that's you know a club that we have talked about is not uh, performed very well. Uh, they're definitely down, and so getting two wins there. He did record a shutout, hard to blame him for that, gave up just one goal in the other outing, but I think a lot of that has to do more with the Buffalo offense yeah. uh, than necessarily with Jari. And then the Flyers, just 10 shots faced against uh, in that game. If I, you know, I, I'm almost questioning whether these stats are right. Uh, it, I, he didn't come in as a, as a replacement, so the fact that just uh, faced just 10 shots, in that outing, uh, came away with the win. Uh, and so he's looked, he's looked good. What do you think? Do they need a veteran replacement? Do they stick with Jari for now? Um, you know, what, what is your take on this net mining situation? I mean, they kind of did a similar thing before with, with Matt Murray, where they had the, the inexperienced backup who ended up becoming the starter. But I think that was kind of a perfect storm and they, they got really lucky with it. I, I would definitely say the Penguins should actively seek a, a veteran backup. Um, what do you think about Cam Ward? Do you think they can give enough pieces? Because obviously Carolina is not going to let him go for nothing. Can they give him enough pieces to, uh, you know, to to pry him away from there? I think if they're willing to give up, I don't even know if they'd want certain roster players that the Penguins have to offer, but I think if they gave a, a couple, I mean, trade prices have fluctuated kind of wildly the last few trade deadlines where a couple of years ago, like I remember Brett Connolly went for two first rounds <laughs> where now that seems like super, super expensive. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think maybe it's just hard to gauge the price, but maybe, maybe like a, a third and a fourth for Ward would, would work, I think. Yeah, and, and it just depends if the if the Penguins are willing to give that up. Yeah, that is a that is certainly a question mark. Now, the biggest thing, and and you don't want to end up in a long term situation where you're in trouble. We've seen it with Chicago the last couple of years. They really sold out for those those cup wins. But the Penguins are a win now team, and they will be as long as you've got Crosby 
and Malkin in the yeah, lineup. And Phil those Kessel. Guys are only getting older. They're not old now, but they're only going to be getting older. Yeah. Forward, so you want to win every single year. Absolutely. And just to to correct what I'm seeing here, uh, obviously, I must have blocked this from my memory. The reason Jari only faced ten shots is because Matt Murray started that game. That was the oh, one he got injured in. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, I blocked that from my memory. I uh, wanted to pretend that <laughs> didn't happen. Memory, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, so Matt Murray faced the bulk of the shots that night. Uh, did uh, have Jari go in after that. Gave up two goals on those 10 shots, but uh, you know came away with the decision of record. So four wins in a row for him. Uh, handling it well so far, um, but I do think a backup is in the offing as soon as possible. Uh, heading back over to the West Coast, we'll talk about the San Jose Sharks yet. Survived a little bit of a scare uh, with Martin Jones being out for a few games, although you have to wonder if he's still dealing with some lingering effects of that injury. He's given up nine goals in his last two outings. Um, he hasn't been, uh, for, for my money, quite as dominant this year as he was uh, even two years ago. Uh, last year wasn't by any means a, a, a bad season for him, but his goals against average did creep up to 2.4, whereas that 2015-16 season, uh, seemed like it was going to be a strong turnaround for him. 2.27 on the goals against average, a .918 save percentage, 37 wins on the year, and that's obviously the season they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. So question there, you know, whether or not he's still dealing with that injury uh, or, you know, is it just, uh, you know, indicative of the rest of the team? Brent Burns, obvious his struggles this year. Seems to be getting better, although pointless in his last two after uh, you know a five-game point streak. Still, just the one goal, which I mean, you have to wonder is he is he going to make the twenty-goal mark this season? Which you know, based on his last two years, would seem unfathomable that we would be asking that question. Do you, as far as his struggles, you know, we saw him you know basically limp into the end of the season as far as production goes, and it hasn't turned around. Is Paul Martin, or rather the lack of having Paul Martin, really the the concern here? Is that why Burns is really struggling that much? I think it's definitely a contributing factor, but I don't think it's anywhere near like the sole reason that that he's kind of sputtering along this season. Um, I mean, the the goals, the dropping goals, is is obvious, but also the again another guy whose power play production is way down. He's only got four points on the power play, all assists, where last year he had 25 and eight were goals. Yeah, and I, you almost have to wonder, is that uh, you know a change of strategy that the coaching staff has implemented there? Yeah, or it, it's, it's just kind of mind, mind-boggling. I mean, you look at his, his shots in 82 games last season, he had 320 shots, where through 26 games this season, he already has 100 shots. So it's not like he's... He's, like he's uninvolved. He's still putting shots on the net. He's just pucks not going in. Yeah, yeah, and you know it, it's it is interesting. I I think I might have to tune into a few more Sharks games, kind of watch yeah, that power sure. play and see what's going on. The one thing that I can think of, just looking at this team's makeup and the power play makeup, is a lack of uh, uh, Marlow, Patrick Marlow, not being mm-hmm. there on that top unit anymore. Um, obviously you would have expected some, some changes in five on five play there a little bit on that power play, but it's hard to imagine that losing one guy like that would, you know, completely derail another player on that power play unit. But for whatever reason, those shots to your point are just not finding the back of the net. Uh, one team that 
isn't uh, struggling too bad to find the back of the net uh, is the St. Louis Blues. They're uh, performing admirably in a in a tough Central Division. Currently sitting at uh, at third place behind uh, surprising Winnipeg and Nashville. Uh, they're they're doing just fine with with what they've got now. I will point out Vladimir uh, Tarasenko, goalless in five straight. That's got to be an anomaly, right? That's not going to yeah. hold on. Um, and you know they're they've done some a little bit of shuffling around as they get Patrick Berglund back. How he's going to fit in? Uh, it's going well for him so far. Two goals in his three games back. So uh, I think this team is going to continue to to chug along. Now, can they really challenge uh, those top two teams? Can they challenge Winnipeg and Nashville for a potential uh, division title? Uh, I think in the regular season they'll they'll be all right and they'll they'll definitely push for the division championship. I just I worry in the, in the playoffs again. It's just this team never seems to to show up. And is there anything that, that you that see with them? Is it is it goaltending that falls apart? Is it is it does the scoring dry up? You know, when you get into a series, it seems like scoring just suddenly becomes could, more it difficult. Could be, it could be a lot of it with the past coach, obviously Ken Hitchcock. How he really, you know, um, likes to slow things down, clamp down, play defense in in the playoffs, and that restricted a guy like Tarasenko, who you pay to score the goals, and now you, you don't want him to score goals. You want him to block shots and ice the puck. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that that could be something that changes this year. Obviously, with Mikey O now at the helm, but um, I think it also could be. The defensive core, they got a lot of talent, but I just don't know if they have what it takes to cut it in the playoffs, some of these guys. Yeah, that's that's definitely an, an interesting discussion we'll, we'll see uh, at the end of the year. Um, I'm, I'm not sold on them making a deep run in the playoffs either, yeah. um, but we'll see. You know, we, we obviously, every year, that's, that's why the Stanley Cup playoffs are so exciting. Just get there and the game Anything changes. Happen, yeah. Uh, one team that's hoping to make a deep playoff run and seems to have all the pieces is the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, I've talked about this team at nauseum of late, so I'm <laughs> I'm going to take a backseat on this one. We've talked about Tyler Johnson, Stamkos, and Nemestikov, uh, Yanni Gord in, in his production at, at certain points. Um, for you, Joe, players on this team that really are standing out to you, um, whether, whether they're the names that we know, uh, names that we don't know, mm-hmm. Uh, the netminder, obviously, you know, who's, who's really, um, the key pieces in this team performing just so well as they have been. I like, uh, Braden point a lot. He's kind of hit something of a dry spell of late where, you know, he just picked up an assist in his last game, but, um, before that he had, he had gone, uh, four scoreless, but he's a very underrated player. He, he fills that second line role, quietly scores. 22 points in 26 games with with nine goals to go along. I think he's a guy who's going to keep producing the whole year. And secondary scoring and defensive depth is what every team is looking for at the trade deadline, what every team thinks they need, that little thing to get them over the hump in the playoffs. That's Secondary scoring is one of them, and Braden Point like, really provides that, and you can rely on him to do so. Well, one team that's not lacking for for secondary scoring 
is uh, my regular co-host's uh, favorite team, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, they've definitely got everything clicking. Now they're without Tyler Bozak, who hasn't really uh, produced much this season, has just the four goals, seven assists, although uh, four of those points have come on the power play, so finding some ways to contribute. His goalless stretch is starting to get a little bit concerning. It's up to 12 games, just three assists. But aside from you know maybe some score sheet struggles, uh, Bozak offers um, a, a solid uh, two-way player, in my opinion, Good for this lineup. Guy, yeah. Yep, and that I mean, faceoffs are, in my opinion, an underrated um, aspect of the game. Now, obviously, I think teams are aware of the importance of it, but I think it doesn't really get highlighted enough. You know, a lot of it has to do probably with there's not a ton of leagues out there or formats out there that reward you for yeah, faceoff yeah. numbers, um, and so you know, commentators and and guys like ourselves aren't going to talk about it a lot. But without that, you don't get set up in the offensive zone. You you know end up spending more time in your defensive zone yeah, if you're not you winning faceoffs. Clean, clean it, uh, exits from the zone. Yeah, yeah. And so without Bozak, is is this an injury that might you know you look at it firsthand? You're like, okay, just 11 points on the year, probably not going to impact the team that much. But when you look at some of those other factors, do you think this could hurt uh, what this team's trying to do? Depending on how long he's out. Um, it does seem to be an illness, so you would think he's back relatively soon, but we've seen other guys miss four or five yeah. games with illnesses. Uh, I think a lot of it is going to boil down to how William Nylander performs in his spot because, I th- like you are saying, Bozak has almost like the perfect uh, characteristics to round out your lineup like as a third-line center. He does everything you want him to do or contributes offensively, but he also solid defensive player. Uh, wins faceoffs, and if Nylander is more of like a, you know, skate a million miles an hour, and just try and score goals, because I mean we've seen him do at wing. That's what you're supposed to do. But if he's unable to, you know, t- assume the responsibilities of of being a third line center, then it could definitely hurt. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Um, I I think they'll be all right just because it's not going to be long-term. Yeah, but I do yeah. think that's an injury where if it was if a it little bit longer... Yeah, it's it definitely something to, to worry about if you're a Leafs fan, I think. Well, uh, heading over next, we'll head uh, from Eastern Canada to Western Canada with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, kind of an interesting uh, movement here. I'm not sure what the ultimate goal is, but you've got Nikolai Godobin uh, up on that top line with Horvat and Brock Boser. You've got Sven Bershi down on the third line. And then, obviously, the Sedins um, together on the second line, but now playing with Vertanen, who they saw some time with earlier in the season, but uh, the coaching ha- staff had gone back to Louis Erickson on that line. And now you've got Louis Erickson and Thomas Vanek in fourth-line roles, guys that were both at one point or another supposed to be the answer on that yeah, Sedin line. second-round pick Marcus Granlund center- centering them on the fourth line. Yeah. yeah. Is this is this a good thing for this team that they're spread out and got some scoring? Kind of, you know, I, I shouldn't say scoring for sure, but guys that have shown the yeah, ability yeah. to score stretched out. Or is it more indicative of guys that are struggling and getting put into reduced roles with the coaching staff kind of scrambling for answers? Yeah, it seems to me like a lot of um... – trying to put like round plugs and square holes it's it, 
it kind of doesn't you want Thomas Vanek and Louis Erickson filling like a like a fourth line duty you know going around hitting people like, <laughs> I don't think they have they don't really have that in their in their um forward group there's just not really a lot of physical play in there it's kind of everyone's a second third line scoring player and yeah that's what your whole group's made up of it's kind of like uh yeah yeah and and the guys that should be and have been in the past, you know, kind of top line guys. That's a great point. Um, I I think I would qual, you know, quantify the entire lineup generally as second and third line guys yeah. now. Whether yeah, yeah exactly whether they yeah. just haven't gotten there yet with guys like Bosher and Bershi, who I think can be top line talents. Obviously yeah, yeah. Horvat, or they used to be there in the Sedins. Uh, that's that's a great description for this team. Uh, we'll talk about the Golden Knights next. Uh, injuries, uh, another, uh, probably pretty big talking point here, but it seems like they might start to get healthy. Yeah. David Perron was, uh, skating, uh, without, a uh, without the no contact Jersey. So he's obviously been cleared for contact. Getting him back will be a boost. And then of course, uh, my, uh, one of my favorite players, if not my favorite player, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. Oh. Seems to be getting close. Uh, obviously, concussions hard to hard to analyze. This team has performed really well without Flurry. Seems like a revolving door in the net mining. I think that speaks a lot to the defense uh, in front of those guys. How good? Not that they've been bad by any means, but how good can, can this team be when they get the flower back in between the pipes? Uh, I I think that would be really good. I. I have to confess, I thought this team was going to be terrible. Like, so you're not. Bad. You're not the only one. I. I, I think I might have been the lone uh, talking head yeah. out here that yeah. uh, said that they would perform this season. Yeah. So you're certainly not you alone look there. Look at guys like, like Nate Schmidt, who was pretty much a seventh defenseman for, for the Caps, and now I mean, he probably wouldn't be a first pairing defenseman on that many teams around the league, but. He does pretty well in, in filling that role. Lucas Spiza was terrible the last couple of years with Vancouver, and he's really turned his game around. Derek Englund, 35 years old, playing the best hockey of his life. It just kind of all came together for them, I guess. They threw, threw all these misfit toys together, and they, they figured out uh, how to play hockey well together. Yeah, yeah, that's that's... That might be the new nickname for the Golden yeah. Knights, the Island of Misfit Toys, appropriate reference as we head into <laughs> the Christmas season. Uh, we'll talk about the Washington Capitals, uh, some uh, kind of minor uh, minor bumps and bruises uh, for this team. They've got Chandler Stephenson uh, day-to-day with an upper body injury. He's supposed to be back soon. I haven't been as high on him. I really think he's been utilized more as a uh, – I, I guess a, a decoy or a uh, motivational point for Jakob Vrana. I think uh, yeah. the coaching staff just kind of put Stevenson out there of like, hey, Vrana, if you don't step up, we're going to use Stevenson. Yeah, I think they even Trotz even like explicitly stated that that's – I was sending a message to Vrana. Yeah. At one point. yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, TJ Oshie left last night's game early. Uh, we'll find out hopefully more details on that. That would be a pretty significant injury for them. The goals have been a little hard to come by of late. Uh, no goals in his last seven games, but six assists to show for it, including a pair that came on the power play. And one surprising stat that I'm seeing here, just looking at this, 13 hits for uh, TJ Oshie in those last seven games. That's a, 
a pretty high number for a guy of his caliber. You don't really expect to see Oshi dishing out the hits. Um, you know, he did, he has broken over a hundred on a couple of occasions. So, uh, maybe that's just my, uh, my interpretation, uh, you know, not, uh, not expecting it out of his game. Uh, so, you know, what, if, if it's a long-term injury, what's the answer there for this team? Now, Burkowski sounds like he might be back soon, but let's, let's just say in the immediacy, Oshi out for a week or so, Burkowski not quite back. Yep. Is Tyler Grayovac or Chandler Stevenson the answer? Do they need to, you know, especially if Oshie's really out long-term, do they need to look at bringing somebody in, uh, trade deadline, or do you think they have the pieces in the organization to kind of ride it out? I think if he's out long-term and you're trying to win now because you have Alexander Ovechkin, then you need to make a move. But I think if if it's not long-term, I, th- I would put um, – DSP up there on the second line. I think you would definitely lose a lot, the drop from Oshi to, to DSP. But I, I think he he's a former second-round pick. He's obviously got talent, and he, he also plays a pretty physical game. But I think they, they would really lose a lot on the power play because Oshi plays that, that bumper spot, kind of like Bergeron does for the Bruins. And that's <clears throat> it's not really something that you can – coach that well you need a lot of like instincts and experience playing that role where you're not just going to throw Devontae Smith Pelly into it yeah with no experience yeah no that's definitely definitely an added added point there is is what will happen with their power play percentage yeah. without Oshi. uh one team also dealing with with a pretty significant injury uh Kyle Connor out uh and while you wouldn't think necessarily that a guy in his first uh, really full season in the NHL being out for a few games would be a pretty big knock for them. He's been excelling on that top line. Uh, he's got four goals in his last five games, two assists to show for it in there as well. Uh, and he's getting opportunities on the power play over that stretch as well. Uh, two of those goals with the man advantage as well as one of those assists. So um, for now, they're going to replace him with Matthew Peralt. What's your take? You know, Peralt generally with this team has filled more of a bottom six role, but he does get power play looks. His his numbers have been astronomical of late. Uh, can Peralt fill in on the top line role? And uh, I guess, would you see him as a top six player on any other team? Is he really just caught behind the depth that they have here in Winnipeg? That's a good question. I think um, maybe for around half the teams, Peralt would be uh... – would be a top six forward, but I think the role that he fits perfectly is as a um, a scoring third liner, where you can he's going to give you reliable minutes uh, in that on that third line, but you can also count on him to score forty points as he's done four different times now, which I think is perfect because you don't have to pay him that much because he's you don't have to he doesn't play a ton of minutes. But he contributes on the power play, and he can score from the third line. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see what the rest of the season holds for Peralt. Um, it would be interesting to see if he excels on this top line. What they then do with Kyle Connor? Do they want to put him back there or not? Um, I think that'll be a, an interesting uh, discussion that the coaching staff will yep. have to take, and one that fantasy owners out there are really going to want to monitor uh, going forward. 
Well, that wraps up our 30-game sweep, so we're going to give a quick nod uh, to our sponsor in FanDuel. Fantasy football fans, the wait has been over for several weeks. Football is back, which means FanDuel is back, and I'm sure all of you are enjoying it. FanDuel Fantasy Football for Everyday Fans. New contests starting every week. No busted seasons when you have a guy you know that you go all in on, like a David Johnson perhaps in your draft, and then he's out. You don't have to deal with any of that with FanDuel. There's something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from, starting at just a dollar. I don't know about you, Joe, but that's where I really uh, get my uh, <laughs> money's worth on FanDuel. Yeah. Those just a dollar contests One appeal to me. Spot. Yeah, yeah uh, that's that's a, uh, a guy with a, a wife and a kid talking there. That one dollar <laughs> zone. Uh, just pick a contest, choose your team, and watch your score in real time. Now it's week 13 of the NFL season. Our listeners are well aware of my daily struggles in NFL. Hopefully, I've been guiding them a little bit better when it comes to NHL. Uh, for me, though, this week in, in season long, Blake Bortles and Leonard Fournette, uh, as the Jags continue to roll, really were great uh, you know, uh, pickups for me and definitely can contribute in, in uh, daily contests as well. Rumor has it Aaron Rodgers is back throwing, which is great news for all of us here in Wisconsin. Uh, anything for you that stood out in the NFL season this week? I was really surprised just the level of production in the tight end position, like Travis Kelsey, Gronk, Evan Ingram on the uh, on the Giants, all had huge days. And uh, it'll be interesting with Gronk suspended next weekend. I'm hearing a lot of... Uh, chatter about Dwayne Allen now being a hot pickup, but as someone who's watched every one of the games this season, I don't really see him <laughs> producing a lot. I think he's had like three or four catches on the entire season, so there. I don't think that's a surefire yeah. <laughs> uh, like for like replacement with Gronk out. Well, and they, the Gronk is set to appeal that decision as yeah. well, so we'll see what happens yeah. there. Over 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing on FanDuel. To take advantage of our special offer for new users, sign up today at fanduel.com slash RW. You'll get a free six-month RotoWire subscription that gives you access to all of our RotoWire content uh, from football to hockey to Canadian football. We've got some cricket, cricket coverage yeah. out there as well. Uh, so you'll get all of that with that free month subscription, plus a free entry into the NFL Sunday Million, which offers more than $1 million in cash prizes with your first deposit on FanDuel. Vi- just visit fanduel.com slash RW, void where prohibited. Now, uh, we're getting a little long for time, so we're going to run through our DFS segment a little quickly. Uh, We're going to cut out the optimizer. Uh, I would just encourage all of our listeners, just go to rotowire.com, see how that shakes out, and that'll give you a great chance to check out the site. Starting out, to, uh, we'll take a look at today's schedule. A pretty big slate of games tonight. Starts out at 7 o'clock as the Devils travel to Columbus. Uh, You've got the Rangers uh, heading into Pittsburgh, that I think will be the key matchup to watch tonight. Obviously, the people over at NBC Sportsnet uh, agree with me on that one as well. That'll be the marquee game tonight. You've got the Blues facing the Canadians. Jets at Red Wings, that's another 7.30 game. Uh, I think this could be one game that you may want to consider taking advantage of in your daily lineups. I certainly do with mine, and we'll get into that in just a second. You've got the Islanders 
uh, facing off with the Lightning. Uh, an interesting matchup here. I think both teams have been really capable lately. Might be one uh, that uh, you want to tune in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, could also be high yeah. scoring. Uh, although Vasilevsky has been pretty <laughs> solid as well. You head into the 8.30, starting to get into some of the later games. you got the Predators traveling to Dallas, Buffalo at Colorado at 9 o'clock. The Hurricanes uh, face the Canucks at uh, 10 o'clock. This is an interesting game that could uh, – it's two teams that are evenly matched, so it might not be terrible to watch. But this could go anywhere from a one nothing sleeper uh, to a pretty offensive one with some question marks in goal of late as well. So that might be uh, an interesting matchup to watch. You've got the Ducks at the Golden Knights, and then finally the late game, uh, Minnesota at Los Angeles. Now, I obviously mentioned a few games there that stood out to me. Joe, anyone that you really want to uh, you know, cue in and watch tonight? Uh, the Ducks-Golden Knights matchup really intrigues me because I can foresee that as a uh, potential playoff series, you know, both coming out of the Pacific Division. I think it could develop into uh, a rivalry in in years moving forward as well. So um, I think those games will be be cool to watch as the rivalry develops. Yeah, absolutely. An awesome slate of games tonight. It it could be hard to really pick uh, if if you're not really keyed in on any one team, yeah. it could be hard to pick uh, who you want to watch tonight. All right, I'm going to dive right into my FanDuel lineup here. Uh, going to start off with Mark Shifley for 8,100. I mentioned capitalizing on this matchup. Uh, Shifley has been red hot of late. He was named the first NHL star this last week, uh, and so I expect him to continue to roll. And then I'm going to go Kyle Turris for 5,200. That price tag is a little low. Now they are on the road at Dallas. Ben Bishop probably going to get the start, who has been significantly better of late, but uh, I still think you know Nashville is a tough team to play. For wingers, I've got Phil Kessel. Uh, you know, the Penguins have seemingly had the Rangers number of late. They just find ways to get under King Henrik's skin. Uh, so I'm going to use Kessel and Jake Gunsel tonight, uh, taking advantage of both of those lines. Now, Kessel comes in at 7800 so a little bit pricier. Jake Gunsel only 6400 so a little bit of a cheaper option there for you. Um, but those guys are playing together. Uh, I'll go with uh, my fourth uh or uh, I've got Wheeler as well going back to that Jets matchup. Again, 7700 a pretty high price tag. And so if you're following along, you've got Shifley at 81 Kessel 78 Wheeler 77 even Genso at 64 Had to save some money somewhere. Corey Conacher for the Tampa Bay Lightning, 3200 Now he just got called up, which is why his price tag is so low. I admit this is a bit of a stretch, a bit of a reach, but this is an offense that seems to be rolling. Uh, they've got a good matchup tonight, and in his two games that he has played in this season, including uh, December 2nd, Concher found the back of the net. So I think he's got some talent. His price tag is super low, and it could be a high-scoring matchup, and I'm hoping that maybe some of his Tampa teammates can help him find the back of the net. One of those Tampa teammates I'm going to look to is going to be Mikhail Sergachev for my first defenseman. He's just 4,000. Again, he's finding ways to contribute from the blue line. Doesn't carry a heavy price tag on FanDuel. And then Rasmus Ristolainen will be my other uh, uh, defenseman here. 4,600 for a top-line guy or a top-pairing guy who's going to see minutes on the power play. They're facing Colorado, who is 
a better team uh, than I definitely was expecting this year, but still has some question marks in certain parts of their lineup. So I think Rastelainen could get one tonight. And then in goal, uh, for me, there was nobody better to use than Connor Hellubuck. Uh, the Detroit matchup, I think, will get the win. Now, Andre Vasilevsky was very tempting to me, but at 9,200, that price tag is just a little too high with how I wanted to build out the rest of my lineup. I saved money with Connor Hellubuck at 7,800. So that's what I'm doing for my lineup. Uh, Joe, how did you shake up your lineup uh, tonight? Uh, so I actually devoted most of my, or the position where I devoted most of my money is uh, at goalie. I went with uh, Jonathan Quick. <clears throat> because not only are the uh, Kings playing pretty well this year, but Minnesota hasn't has gone through some pretty tough patches when it comes to scoring. So I think that's a favorable matchup for him. Um, and then going to the, the top of my lineup, I have uh, Andre Kopitar at 6,600. I talked earlier in the show about how I really like his game this year. Um, after that, I got uh, Nathan McKinnon at 6,800. He's just been on fire, got 24 points in his last 15 games. Um, then I got Nick Ehlers at wing for $5,700. Um, another player, really like great speed. Um, that that whole Winnipeg team, just those that those top two lines play with a lot of speed and can really produce. Uh, Anthony Mantha after that at $5,400. Um, he's one of the main scoring options for, for Detroit. He's really uh, <clears throat> progressed a lot this year. Uh, and then Josh Bailey at 5,600. Uh, <clears throat> that's a first-round pick that he kind of took a while to to smooth smooth out uh, some of the rough aspects of his game, but he's played really well this year. He's tons and tons of assists. Uh, and then I got Nemestnikov at wing as well. He's 5,900. I kind of wanted to just get in on the lightning party a little bit. Um, and then at defense, I have Zach Wierenski, who I think is one of the best uh, power play defensemen in the league. And then rounding out my lineup at also at defense is uh, Brandon Montour, who another guy, great, great on ice vision, great skater, love to watch him play. And kind of guy where he touches a puck and you think something good's about to happen because he has the puck. So, um, I like guys like that, so I, I threw him in to round it out. Well, we'll see how both of those lineups stack up tonight. As I said, uh, we'll have you head over to rotowire.com to check out the NHL lineup optimizer. Uh, we do have it available uh, you know, every day of the week as long as there are contests, uh, and so I encourage you to check that out. As we close out the show, as always, we'll head into the stud and the rant of the week. Paul's not here. So I get to decide the stud of the week. And so our listeners aren't going to be surprised that Sidney Crosby <laughs> comes in as the stud of the week. Six goals and six assists in his last five games. Uh, to me, it seems like every year we find ourselves in this narrative regarding the demise of Sidney Crosby. He isn't scoring, must be washed up. Then something like this happens where he goes off and suddenly he's the greatest player in the world again. I honestly think it's because he's the guy everybody loves to hate. Uh, if he's not on your team, you you probably don't like him. You've probably used the term whiner uh, in your vernacular when talking about Sidney Crosby. But uh, he remains w- one of, if not the top player in the world. 
And so I think anytime he hits a little bit of a slump, people are quick to jump on him. But he seems to be back and better than ever uh, and firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I completely agree with you with the the whole narrative. Crosby's washed up. uh, We've seen the the last of of Pete Crosby, but... Just just watching the guy play hockey, there's no one better in the world. Like he does so many things where you, you watch him play. Wow. How, how do you even think to do that, let alone pull it <laughs> off? Where it it's a lot of the the little things, the subtleties when I watch him, that's that like really sets him apart to me that he's hands down best player in the world. Well, and that's coming from a Boston Bruins fan, so yeah, you know I, I I have no kind of bias towards <laughs> person. I, I don't like him as a player at all, but he's the best player in the world. <laughs> For our rant of the week, I kind of uh, teased this earlier, talking about uh, the Detroit situation. Look, my rant is backup goalies getting pulled out of games, and I'm going to bring up Detroit here specifically. But a lot of teams do this twice in the last four games. Jimmy Howard was supposed to get the night off but was called into a relief appearance for a struggling Peter Mrazek. As a result, Howard has played in 10 straight games, and I think it's starting to show in his performance as well. Look, the backup is there to spell the starter for anywhere between 15 to 30 games a year in most cases. If he gets shelled for 10 goals, so be it. But wearing out your starter with these extra relief appearances just makes no sense to me. I 100% agreed with Montreal when they let Al Montoya wither away for 10 goals against. Yeah. yeah. Was it fun for him? No. But that's the job as the backup yeah. netminder. Um, plenty of teams do this. I don't mean to specifically blame Detroit, um, but they've just done it twice recently. Look, Peter Morazic, despite the fact that you're paying him $4 million a year, which is a whole nother rant <laughs> and topic, is the backup netminder to Jimmy Howard right now and needs to take his lumps for better or worse. And I, I just can't stand it when the starter gets press ganged into action on a night he's supposed to get off. Uh, so for me, that's the rant of the week. Not sure if you agree or disagree with this, yeah, Joe. I, I think it's one of the very antiquated ways of thinking in hockey. Oh, this guy just gave up five goals. Let's yank him. But like you're saying, if you actually took a step back and thought about it, the whole point of this guy playing is to give my starter a rest. So why am I going to put my starter back in? This game's obviously lost. It's six nothing. Yeah, it's not like we're so pulling just, him when the game's you know yeah, close. It's not, it's not six five, <laughs> and the guy can't. He's given up six goals on ten shots. It's it's not that. It's give give the guy give the starter a rest. Just just let it be. <laughs> well, that wraps up this week's podcast with Statsman and AJ featuring Joe Mahoney filling in. Uh, remember to send your comments and questions on Twitter. You can follow me at AJScholes24, and you can follow Paul, who will rejoin us next week at Statsman22. We hope you enjoyed the show, and will circle back with us on December 12th for the next episode of Puckcast, so you can get all the latest news and our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy contest. So long, everybody. <laughs>